begin uh, this message this morning from Job, Job chapter 28 and verse 28. When we read the Old Testament, we might get to thinking that the books in the Old Testament are arranged in some kind of chronological order, sort of in, in line by the time they were written or what part of history. But that is not necessarily the case. And a prime example is found here in the book that we start off with this morning. Job. The book of Job is very old. It predates the Psalms, predates the Proverbs. It predates basically every single book in the Old Testament except for Genesis. Only Genesis is older in some places. For in the estimate of those who can be trusted, it was written in the time of either Abraham or Isaac. And as we continue on, we will see that Solomon was familiar with the writings of Job. I have a book in my library that I'm slowly working through, but it's, it's the Old Testament use of the Old Testament. We know that the New Testament writers use the Old Testament, but we will find often that Old Testament writers quoted from previous writings as well. And it would make sense because the same Holy Spirit that inspired writers of the Old Testament inspired those of the New. We know that when we read the first chapter of Proverbs, that Solomon was familiar with the writings of Job. But as we begin, we turn to Job chapter 28, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12, because we're going to read his discourse on wisdom. Wisdom... Something is very precious in the Old Testament and in the New. Something very much missing in so much of what we see in this world. Perhaps there's a lot of knowledge, but there's not a lot of wisdom. And we think that perhaps this is a strange time in which we live, but notice Beginning at verse 12 of chapter 28, Job starts with a question. But where can wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. 
It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report of it with our ears. We've heard rumors of it. God understands its way. And he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So he takes us on a journey, a journey where we will look for wisdom in various places. Where can it be found? It's not found, found with man. Man doesn't value it. So it's not found in the land of the living. Although it's interesting that that phraseology is used because there is a wisdom that all who have died have gained that they did not have while on earth. But the gist is that it doesn't come from here below. It comes from above. James in chapter 3 mentions wisdom from above as first peaceable and perfect. So then he takes us to the deepest of minds where precious gems and, and minerals are to be found. And he says it's not there. He takes us to the depths of the sea. And then he gives a listing of gems and things such as silver and gold verses 14 through 19. Well, then where does the most valuable currency in the world come from? Where can it be found? Again, in verse 20, he said it's not found in the land of the living. And no little bird whispers it. You can ask the birds. They have nothing to say. I think Solomon also was thinking of this in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20 when he said, Do not curse the king even in your thoughts, 
Do not curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice. And a bird in flight might tell the matter. And by the way, if you're into quaint little sayings, that saying a little birdie told me comes from this very verse in Ecclesiastes. Destruction and death say we've heard rumors of it. But in verse 23, finally, God understands the way of it. and He knows its place. Verses 24 through 27, we see that natural revelation gives us a clue. But what is that revelation supposed to do? It is to cause us to seek God. And so he says in verse 28, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. So with that in mind, we turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We know that from the very beginning, the importance of wisdom is given because here's Job talking about the very thing. Now, as we move to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, The book of Proverbs is really interesting because it not only has the sayings, the Proverbs of Solomon, but also the Proverbs that Solomon collected over his lifetime, the wise saying of others. It, we could think of uh, Ben Franklin and the Old Farmer's Almanac, and uh, he, Ben Franklin had some very wise little sayings that he wrote, but also very many of the things that are quoted were sayings that he collected over time and place. So Solomon didn't write all of the Proverbs, obviously, but they were many that he wrote, most, and then the others that he collected over time. The sayings of the wise. And we have a prime example here when we come to verse 7 of, of chapter 1 that here's where he's been collecting. Because he says in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. This is where the book of Proverbs actually begins. The first six verses are, are basically introductory. When we come to verse 7, here we are. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the New King James has knowledge in there, but, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so he gets the first part right from Job, and then he adds the second part. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, this is where the book of Proverbs has its beginning. And it's also where it sets the Bible apart from all other books, particularly all other so-called wisdom books, the wisdom books of the world, because they do not say 
that wisdom must first be found in God. In chapter 2, Proverbs, beginning at verse 1, we read, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Notice, there you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now we'll turn over a few places to chapter 14. Proverbs 14 and verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. Verse 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain, a fountain of life, to turn one away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It is the source of just as we read in chapter 1 and verse 7, it is the foundation, the basis for all that follows. Psalm 111 and verse 10, which we read a little while ago, echoes it as well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a good understanding have all those who do His commands. That is, those who make it their practice. And so it is good since... The fear of the Lord is being spoken of so much that we define what is meant by this. The fear of the Lord is used in several ways throughout Scripture, but they really come down to two major headings. And the first is this. This is the fear of wrath, fear of punishment, of being cast into hell. It's a fear of, it's brought on when we the first use of the law comes upon us where the, the law condemns and shows that we are a sinful person, a, a, a wretch before the eyes of a holy God. It is a fear that everyone who is outside of Christ should have. It is, should be the most common fear in our country. That servile fear, as it's called. But instead, we have people say, oh, no, no, no. I, I can find my way to God. And the simple answer is, no, you can't. 
and every effort to come to God apart from Christ simply adds logs to the fires of hell. But here in our passage is the second meaning of the fear of the Lord. This is what he is getting at here. And that's what we call the third use of the law. The comforter. The one who shows us the right way to go. This is the fear of one who knows God. Knows God as their father through Jesus Christ. Through his love and grace. Who knows the forgiving love of Christ. Psalm 130 in verse 4 tells, But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness that you might be feared. This is the humble, holy, love based on faith and trust. It is a reverent affection for God. A reverent affection for God. It's one who can truly pray the first of the model prayer that Jesus gave to us. Oh Lord, hallowed be thy name. God is ever before them. Never long out of mind. This is the person who worships with body and mind or body and soul. It's the one who keeps in mind the first table of the law. As I explain, what I mean by that is the Ten Commandments are what we could say, and Moses had two tablets. On the first tablet is our responsibility to God. On the second, our commandments on how we are to be with our neighbor. And so in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. This is where some people need to continue to read I once had a, an email from somebody saying, so there, we're not supposed to have art then, are we? Well, he's not saying that. What he's saying is, if you make it, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And you can't make images of God, the Godhead. But if you do a painting, do it in to the glory of God and acknowledgement of his creation. And for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
So you see the verses 1 through 8, that's the first table, our behavior towards God. Notice beginning of verse 12, the second table begins. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. <clears throat> this is the second table of the law. And this is here, the foundation of the first, in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, where he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the foundation, the first of all sciences to be learned. It is the very well itself from which all comes from. The one who knows God and worships him according to his revealed will it is the wisdom that all other knowledge and wisdom falls silent before. And those who do not desire this wisdom are simply called fools. They do not want to know God. By the way, I think our language has, the way it changes sometimes, it, it, it makes things lose impact. In the Old Testament and into the New Testament, that is, Jesus he actually speaks about calling someone a fool. A fool is a very strong term. It's a tremendous insult to call someone a fool, empty-headed. Uh, if someone who does not want to have wisdom from God this person is a fool. The same person who says there is no God. And in John 17 and verse 3, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. Jesus is the wisdom of God. But it says that fools, they despise wisdom and instruction, therefore they hate themselves. Notice verses 8 and 9. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains around your neck. You notice verse 7 gives us a breakdown of the first table of the law. The second, here we come in verses 8 and 9, the second table, honor thy father and thy mother. Here, Solomon is speaking, as you will think, to one of his sons. Probably not Rehoboam. So, notice verse 7. It's the first table of law. Verse 8, the second. Honor your mother and father. By the way, again, no human documents written by the human mind have these same things, these same commands. And in fact, the wisdom of the world is taking people the other way. You shouldn't have your children. 
people and institutions and government will, oh, they'll raise them so much better than you can. This is not a one-ended command in verse 8. It places not only a requirement of the children, but it places a requirement on the parents as well. If a father is to give instructions, then he must have instructions to give. We saw that this began in Job 28 with a search for wisdom. Job took us several places, but it was only from above that true wisdom came. Solomon was known for his wisdom. If we turn to 1 Kings chapter 4. First Kings chapter 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman, and Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mael. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. And also he spoke of trees, from the cedar tree of Lebanon, either to the, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon wrote, it says here, 3,000 Proverbs, and we understand that not all of them made the cut, or else the book of Proverbs would be much bigger than it is. It said his songs were 1,005, and never once did he win a Grammy. Verse 33 tells us that he was able to speak to many subjects. And verse 34, that many, many came to see him. We should treasure the wisdom that God gave to Solomon, the wisdom that is preserved in those writings. But while we think, and while such a great deal was made of the wisdom of Solomon, that that phrase, that, that was still continued to be used in so much of our society, he has the wisdom of Solomon. But I'm reminded of 
what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. We read in that account of her visit with Solomon how amazed she was. But then Jesus, in fact, it is said that she was left breathless in amazement at the wisdom of Solomon. But then Jesus said of himself, a greater than Solomon is here. You see, Solomon could talk about trees, which is a pleasant subject, good subject. Jesus created the trees. Solomon could talk of birds and of mammals. All this was useful, no doubt. But Solomon had wisdom from God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. The queen of the south, like I said, it was told us in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 9 that she said, Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, sitting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Solomon revealed perhaps what God had done. Jesus reveals to us who God is. And therefore, he is a greater than Solomon. Like we said, Solomon had wisdom from God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so wisdom that is sought apart from God, it will have a faulty foundation. can't help but think you might remember the incident in the Gospels you had the man who was demon possessed and he went around the tombs you could hear him yelling and carrying on and probably off those rocks and caves you could hear his voice echoing madman And I can't help but think of all the crazy people that are said now to roam the New York subway system. It's kind of like the catacombs, the tombs. You've got these crazy people all they, and, and roaming around these places. But after Jesus healed him, the interesting phrase that is given, after his encounter with Christ, he was found in his right mind. That's where wisdom begins with Christ. We're going to start a, another project of sending people to the moon. 
wonderful thing. But those who work in that era, in that area, should understand who created the moon and why the moon stays in the orbit that it does. demon-possessed man found in his right mind. And so, simple question this morning, are you in your right mind? The most important questions in life are answered by God in his word. Not everything is in there, but the most important things are there for us. If you have a dead battery in your vehicle and you need a jump, say, well, I don't find this in the Bible. Yeah, but you know what happens if you try to connect positive to negative? There's this thing called polarity. Where does it come from? God's creation. If you don't know that God created all things, you start off with a very, very faulty foundation. But the most important questions deal not only in this life, but the life to come. The most important question that anyone can ever ask, how am I a sinner to be accepted by a holy and righteous God? Richard Dawkins, the atheist who was held in so high esteem, would answer, there is no God. And I would answer, that's not an answer. That's an avoidance. To say there is no God is not to answer the question. It is to skirt around it. It is to deny his own reality and the fact that he has being. A denial is not an answer. The answer is only found that the only way we can be accepted by God as wretched sinners is through the righteousness of Christ applied to us. To the Greeks, foolishness, as Paul would say. But to those who are being saved, he says, Christ, the wisdom of God, and the power of God. Seek wisdom first, which is found in the fear of the Lord. Stand together for prayer.